I'm Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. It is, it is. It is. In fact, we are continuing our study this quarter of God's mission, my mission. And now in Lesson 7, we're mission to my neighbor. So it's kind of a funnel. We're going from God's mission, which is my mission, and specifically within that mission, my mission to this target audience, which is my neighbor. But who is my neighbor? Which I was going to say <laughs> begs the question, the biblical question, who is my neighbor? And mm-hmm. you put our talking point outline together this week and studied this one out in detail. So why don't you lead us in that discussion uh, about our neighbor and our duty to him after I have a word of prayer. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to know you and to be co-laborers with you in your mission to the world. Help us now as we discuss this important topic of our uh, mission to our neighbor. Help us know who our neighbor is, what we're supposed to do, and how we can reflect you best in our lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Cameron, I would be remiss if we didn't just comment that we just finished an Emmanuel training session here in this office. Yes. So we, you know, on Talking Points, we always highlight it, and you'll see... I think we have one coming up in March, right? We do, yes. But just had a fantastic week. Uh, Everybody said they felt better equipped to go and and go back to their own home churches and neighborhoods and workplaces and win souls, which is what we're talking about this Neighbors, exactly. So So, it's practical. And yeah, it is coming up in March, and so you might want to put that on your calendar ahead of time if you want to plan. I believe it's March 24. We'll get the specific dates a little later. but um, In fact, maybe we should clarify because one of the students who came... Watches talking points, and they didn't realize Cameron and I actually teach that that <laughs> training class, session. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Wow, I didn't realize this." But You'd be yes, here. I just saw if you. If you're on the not thing. clear on what it is, we're basically take we take a week and we have a, a classroom and and practical labs out in the field yeah. on on how you can be more a more effective witness, how to have spiritual conversations, and how, how to, you can yeah. take that same witnessing mindset back to your local That's church right. and by God's grace and neighborhood exactly grow your church. So. This is the very topic, Mission Mission to My my Neighbor. neighbor. What are we looking at this week, Pastor Howard? What's the deal? So this week's lesson actually focuses on our personal mission to our neighbors in the context of Jesus' answer to the lawyer's test question in Luke 10, where he came and and said, you know, how do I inherit eternal life, first of all? That was the first question. So uh, that's our setting this week. I've got three talking points, as you might expect. Okay. Talking point number one is a provocative question may reveal a deeper soul longing. Mm. So somebody may seem like they're trying to provoke with a question, but it may still reveal an interest. Maybe and we're going to talk there. about that. And that's, that's coming from Sunday and Monday? Primarily Sunday and Monday's lessons. Okay. Uh, talking point number two, love for our neighbor is a Christian duty. And that's taken from, yeah, I see you, Kelly. <laughs> I was that's like, word, duty. It, Woo. I thought it was supposed to come it's from okay, love, yeah. right? Okay. It does. All right. Uh, love for our neighbor is a Christian duty. Love is a duty. Anyway. Well, we'll get um, into it. Tuesday through Thursday, primarily. So the remainder of the week, and you're like, well, then talking point number three comes from Friday. No, also from Tuesday through, and then it goes actually into Friday, some of what's So a lot of these things Friday. are touched on multiple days. Yes, yeah. because you're looking all week, you're looking at this story. Sure. In Luke 10. So number three, talking point number three is that love fulfills the law. The lesson brings this out, and we're going to tie that into our little narrative this week in Luke 10. So those Mm. are our talking points. Well, let's get into it then. I I like this. It's so deep sounding. A provocative question (laughs) may reveal a deeper soul longing. What what is it? Unpack that Okay, so if we go to Luke 10, we may as well go to Luke 10, because everything is based in Luke 10 with this, this story. And if you were just, if you just want to start reading in verse 25, let's just do 25. 
Uh, just 25 or yes, starting 25? just 25. All right, just 25 of Luke chapter 10. The scripture says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so we wouldn't be out of line by assuming that this was a test. It's like, well, you don't know his heart. Yeah, we do, because it tells us right here. In exactly other words, it very motive. clearly says this is the motive. He was doing this to test Jesus. But it's interesting that this whole interchange afterwards, uh, Jesus, despite the fact that you know he knew the man was trying to test him, yet he also knew it was an opportunity to reach a deeper issue. You know, the lesson brings out how uh, his particular question as you just uh, read, is what should I do to inherit eternal life? And this is one of the one of those big existential questions that yeah. everybody has. I mean, regardless, if you're a human being and you and you know you have the reason, the ability to reason, you're going to ask at some point, why am I here? And what's my purpose? And is there where am I going? What is beyond this? Right. And if there is a thing, how can I have access to it? And know? so Jesus understands this, and every soul winner should understand this, that even if the person comes and asks the question to provoke or something else, it's still a question. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's still somewhere, it's a legitimate question. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus' answer was to try to address that deeper issue. And uh, the text that came to my mind that the lesson does not bring out is Ecclesiastes 3.11, where the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Mm. The whole concept is that God has put a desire to know what comes next in everybody. Mm -hmm. And so the most, sometimes the people that seem the most disinterested, from a Christian perspective, you can never assume that people are dis... In fact, you would be, you would assume that they are interested because God has put eternity in our hearts. Right. There's something in there where a person deep down wants to know what lies ahead. And even, if you think about like the non-believer, the atheist or whatever, the avowed, you know, a skeptic, will say, well, there's nothing else. Well, the fact that you've come to that conclusion means you've thought about it. That's right. Like the, 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 the self-evident fact that you have an answer means you've addressed the question, that the question has come to your mind. And so whether you're a deep, sincere believer or you're, you know, even antagonistic, there's some fodder for curiosity in the heart of every person. Absolutely. In fact, uh, there's a great statement from Desire of Ages, if you want to read that, 497. Sure. The lawyer was not satisfied with the position and works of the Pharisees. Now, we should time out, even though he's representing the Pharisees, there was a dissatisfaction. Yeah, so it, the lesson doesn't highlight that, but in Desire of Ages, when you read it, it actually says the Pharisees kind of put him up to it. It's like, hey, go ask Jesus this trick question. Mm -hmm. And so... So he they said, took, okay, he went ahead. But, but even in his own heart, there was something going on, right? Right. He had been studying the scriptures with a desire to learn their real meaning. He had a vital interest in the matter, and he asked in sincerity, what shall I do? So right. he wasn't being sarcastic or right. just trapping him. Right. He really wanted to know. That's right. And so when I, when I came up with the talking point, a provocative question may reveal a deeper soul longing. I don't want to limit it to this one existential question about, you know, is it what comes life after death or eternal sure. life or whatever. Any spiritual question a person wants to, you know, pepper you with or attack you with, as a soul winner and a follower of Christ, you want to assume that there may be something there mm -hmm. that is an opportunity to draw them to an appreciation of the truth. Mm. And so um, if we were to view more of even what might be supposed attacks on us as opportunities to win souls, I think we'd see more people mm. that were uh, 
uh, given their lives, lives to Christ. So people so, may not be as dismissive or as antagonistic as we think. They might just be covering something exactly that right. even they don't even consciously know, but it's in there somewhere. That's exactly right. And, and so we're seeing that displayed in this story, and we see Jesus' response to it. Uh, and it's interesting. I mean, he, he doesn't just dismiss it. He gives him a response, but he actually turns it on him. And it's interesting, the lesson highlights this, uh, that Jesus on, I believe it's uh, uh, Monday's lesson, how he turns to Scripture for the answer. Now, the lesson gives several passages, but we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.16, which is a well-known passage uh, when we're talking about Scripture and the importance sure. of Scripture. But I want to look at it here. Okay. Uh, if you'll read that for us. Sure. 2 Timothy mm-hmm. 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In fact, verse 17 says... Yeah, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the idea of complete and thoroughly... The man of God is the soul winner. Mm-hmm. You know, you say it's a minister, but beyond that, it's like the scripture provides everything that's needed. Mm-hmm. It's equipment for every good work. Th- right. That's right. And so it's interesting that just like on the road to Emmaus, Jesus could have answered in multiple ways. I mean... Good teacher, what should I do? Can't Jesus answer the question? To, why does he have to refer back to Scripture, right? right? He could yeah. answer with that. But he points him back, mm-hmm. and he actually doesn't just point him to Scripture. He he says what is written in the law, and, mm-hmm. and in, in the Hebrew, the concept of that is the Torah, the, the, which means instruction, mm-hmm. you know, would be the first five books of Moses in this man's mind. But, you know, the... You, we're says, back on the lawyer now. We're off the road. With that's man. right. We're that's back. right. So, so Jesus doesn't just say refer to scripture, he right. drills in a little bit. And he asks him, what is your reading of it? Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that he, you find in many places, Jesus not just referring to scripture, but referring people to scripture. Like he could quote it, but he says, what do you, how do you read this? What do you, you know. And he even gives him a minute. Like, exactly, that yeah. you're reading it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he assumes you're reading the scriptures, right? I say that because I saw some, I, I've seen a few things lately where people who are professed Christians have mm-hmm. been for some time come out on some videos. You know, I decided I was going to go read through the Bible. Wow, it's an amazing book. It's like, yeah, well, a lot uh, of in this person. Sorry to interrupt, but in mm-hmm. this person's case, uh, this lawyer. I mean, he's a lawyer, and that's not right. lawyer in the term of like you know attorney right. law, like we think of in a. He's an expert secular. in this is his this is his yes. whole thing, and so Jesus is like, well, you're the lawyer, right. right? You know the scriptures. You tell me. Let's have a deep discussion. What does it really mm-hmm. mean? And that's exactly where he, Jesus knew this man's heart was. He was wondering the deeper issues of life, too. That's right. And uh, it, it's interesting that in, it, when the man answers the question in Luke 10, Jesus said, you have answered rightly. So the first thing is, how, you, how do you read it? And we do this today in the church. It's like, well, you know, that's your interpretation, my interpretation. And we almost come away. No, we don't almost. Oftentimes in circles, we come away from us like, I guess there's no, there's a hundred ways to read it. And we'll never know the truth. But Jesus is very clear here that there is a right way and a wrong way. Mm. Not even right-ish, but it's like you have answered rightly. Like (laughs) your interpretation of that passage is correct, which tells us that there is a right way to read the Scripture. There's a right interpretation. It's not a a vague, obscure book that we'll never know the meanings to. Mm -hmm. It answers these tough questions with with clear answers that can be understood by fallen humanity. I wish I could think of the passage right off the top of my head, but another time Jesus was encountered with this same, like, testing mm-hmm. circumstance. And when asked about this question, he didn't refer back and let the person answer. He answered it himself, and he quoted the same two passages. He said, yeah. this was not just a good answer, this was Jesus' own answer. Yes. And he says, this one's right. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's definitive. So if we go to uh, Monday's lesson and the third paragraph down, it says, sometimes we want answers, but do not put in the work ourselves to find them. Mm. Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus pointed to a very important aspect of learning. Instead of only listening to what others have to tell us, we need to read the scriptures, the word of God for ourselves. The answers already are there, and the Holy Spirit works on our hearts to impress upon us what we need to do. It's a great statement. Powerful. So, you know, n- n- the provocative question, Jesus still answered it. He saw an opportunity there, and he directed them to Scripture, and that gives us a framework for how we minister or mm. should minister as well. You can't improve upon the method of Jesus. Mm. Uh, going into talking points number two, then, uh, in as we continue in this uh, narrative, love for our neighbor is a Christian duty. When the man answered the question, let's go back to Luke 10 again. Mm-hmm. If you're there... I am. It's verse 27, I believe. Mm-hmm. It says, So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And if we keep reading there, that's where Jesus affirms, and he said yes. to him, You've answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Okay, so he's got a right... A right I guess this is a right-ish answer. It doesn't become fully right until you do it. In other okay. words, Jesus is like, okay, you're, you're on the right track, now do, do it. it. And I thought this was interesting. So the lawyer's own answer, affirmed by Jesus himself, enjoined upon him the responsibility of loving his neighbor. Yeah. Like, there's no ambiguity there. Yeah. Do this and you will live. How do I enter into eternal life? Well, what's the, what does the law say? You tell me. Well, it says this. Okay, you're, you're right. Do so, it. Now do it, yeah. And you'll live. Now, what I found interesting, Cameron, is, uh, well, first of all, the lesson does bring this out, that, um, in fact, in James chapter 2, let's refer there, James chapter 2, the lesson refers us to verses 17 to 22, but when I went to James 2, I actually felt that 14 to 17 was much more um, on task with what Mm. we're looking at, and so I'm going to ask if you read James 2, 14 to 17. Sure. James asks, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, the lesson goes on and it refers to that next part about the the union between faith and works. But this part here speaks directly to, you know, here's somebody who says, hey, be warmed and filled. Yeah. You know, hey, I love my neighbor. I'm going to, hey, you you go. You What's have the, a, What would be, be the modern equivalent of that? Maybe like if there's some tragedy that happened in your hometown, like thoughts and prayers, and you just yeah. post it online or <laughs> right. something like that. Like, well, that's great to say something. Are we right. going to do anything about it? Yeah. So here, this is, you know, James says you've got this. In fact, what I have... I've summarized this by saying a life of faith is revealed by corresponding works. That's right. And we've seen that in other lessons before. There's a great statement there from Christ Object Lessons, page 49. It's also from Wednesday's lesson, the second paragraph, which says, Love is the underlying principle of God's government in heaven and earth, and it must be the foundation of the Christian's character. This alone can make and keep him steadfast. This alone can enable him withstand trial and temptation. So the principle of love which is outlined here, love to God and love to our fellow man, is not an option. It is, as a I duty. have here, 
a Christian duty. Do this, Jesus said, and you'll live. Now, what I, the reason I kind of even built into this, and you know where I'm going because we talked about it, is I do. Friday's lesson asks this question, and sometimes I just, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> it says, the first part of the question, question number one on the discussion question on Friday says, how can we make sure we understand that the command to love God and others is not salvation by works? And I just want to interject here that it is a command, and it's God's command. Right. So I can almost say, how can we understand, how can we make sure we understand that God's command to love him and others is not salvation by works? Well, because <laughs> God doesn't teach salvation by works. No, so, and yeah. God does not command right. legalism. Right. So it's like, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of the question, you know, it's like, okay, because we have these discussions all the time. There's almost, I have to actually scale back a little bit. Okay. I don't know why it is. But there is a faulty mindset in the church that legalism is somehow tied to either obedience or to what level you obey. So if you mm. obey to this level, okay, but don't obey to this don't level. Don't over-obey. <laughs> don't over-obey, right. And one of the most fascinating, I think, answers to that mindset is the words of Jesus to the Pharisees, in uh, or regarding the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, where he says the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, whatever they say, therefore do, but don't do as they do because they say and do not. Mm -hmm. And then in, in Matthew, that's not verse 23, by the way, but verse 23, he says, you tithe the anise and the mint and the cumin, mm -hmm. and yet you avoid the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. Mm. These you ought to have done and not left the others undone. Now, it's an interesting verse because the time, if you've ever heard a discussion on this, anise and mint and cumin were very tiny seeds. Yeah. So the idea of tithing is you're supposed to give a tenth of all your increase back to the mm -hmm. Lord. And to tithe mint was extra particular, it's over the top. Like yeah. It's almost like it's so small, why would you even bother? And we come away from that saying, well, yeah, that's the problem with the Pharisees. They were so particular. You don't need to be so particular. But you know Jesus' words. Jesus says, these ought you to have done. Like, what you're doing is fine, but the problem is you left the others undone. Mm. It's not your tithing of the anise. I'm not getting on you for that. Mm -hmm. But you left out judgment and mercy and faith. Right. And he does refer to them as the weightier matters of the law. That's exactly but right. But they're both law. That's right. It's like, so one is the weightier, one is the less, but they're both ex expected. But you, don't, you won't find Jesus saying, oh, don't worry about that. That's over the top. And so there's this idea. So what I what I put in our notes here is, um, again, the question is, how can we make sure we understand the command to love God and, and others is not salvation by works? First of all, God doesn't command legalism. Second of all, legalism is not determined by what we do or how much we do, but by the spirit in which we do it. There it is. In other words, are you are you doing what you're doing to trick God and say, hey, you know, like... What, or or earn his favor. There's two different ways. Like, are you are you trying to feign something that you don't believe? You know, mm -hmm. like the Pharisees. Jesus called them hypocrites. You're actors. It's not in your heart to do what you're doing. You're only doing what is seen by men. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so somebody may argue, well, that yeah, but there I know people who do what they do because they think they have to do that to earn God's favor. Okay, that's motive, mm -hmm. and that's wrong. You're not going to earn God's favor. But is there such thing as doing it because you want to please God. Mm -hmm. And that is true obedience. And that, 
there's no there's no level of I want to please get you almost and come away from this. I'm sorry, please go ahead. But I was just yeah. going to say you almost come away from this saying, "Boy, I really want to please God, but I got to be careful not to try too hard to please Him." Why? You know, and that's just, there's nothing wrong with trying hard to please God if you, if you realize I don't do it in my strength. I right. do it because I love Him. So also, there's come a in. difference between desiring to please God. And trying to appease God. That's right. Right? The appeasing Absolutely. God is like, oh, I have to do it. Get him on my back. I'm going to be in trouble. Just Where pleasing God is like, regardless of any reward or everything, I enjoy doing the thing that God tells me to do, and I want to be more like him. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I have a quote here. If you'd read that from... This was um, something I actually came across in worship this week. And if you'd read uh, That I May Know Him, page 267... There is a feverish love of pleasure at this time, a fearful increase of licentiousness, a contempt for all authority. Not only worldlings, but professed Christians are also governed by inclination rather than duty. Is that, is that, that last part is what I'm zeroing in on here. Inclination is what, I, what I'm inclined to do, what I feel like doing. Mm-hmm. Duty, that's why I had that. That's what made me think of it, and I put it in the talking point. Love for our neighbor is a Christian duty. Duty is a bad word today. It's like duty, that sounds like legalism. Mm -hmm. If you do anything out of principle instead of out of feeling, Mm -hmm. it's almost, it's like, well, that's legalism. But that's not the case. Here, in fact, I would encourage you to do a a word study. Just search the words in Ellen White's writing, inclination and duty. Type in inclination, duty, and you'll find some really (laughs) amazing stuff. She says that Paul's life was a life in which he um, followed the path of duty and not the path of inclination. Mm. That's what made him the apostle that he was. Uh, the idea of duty, she says it was duty, stern duty, mm. that led Abraham to offer Isaac on the altar. It wasn't his feelings. Sure. You know, it wasn't his inclination, what he was inclined to do. So sometimes we feel like, well, if you go by duty, it's just, a, it's just you're just making a choice against your nature. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it, the only reason you'd even be making that choice is because the Spirit of God is motivating you in that direction. And by the way, we have a the, fallen nature, and so... You know, we're, we're, we are naturally inclined to the opposite of God's life. So right. we do we need the duty to reform that very character that's been marred. Right. And let's be clear, in the context of the story, this lawyer did not feel like mm. ministering to his neighbor. It was only duty that would lead him to do what Jesus... And Jesus doesn't... He doesn't say, like, well, I don't want you to go overboard on this. And be careful how you... No, he just says, look, you, you answered rightly, now just do it. Well, we know that's the case because when you go back to Luke chapter 10, whenever you look at the story, yeah. when when the, when the Jesus tells him, all right, you've answered rightly, go do this. Look at the very next verse, uh, verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Justify himself that's from right. what? From not doing what he knows to do. It's not his natural inclination. So he was trying to get out of it, and thus he makes this whole like, yes, but who is my neighbor? Plea to Jesus. That's right. It's interesting. Elamite uh, says in Desire of Ages four ninety eight that among the Jews, this question caused endless dispute. Uh, it goes on to say that this man, rather than acknowledge the truth, sought to show how difficult of the fulfillment the commandment is. Like, mm. who is my? His whole question is, who is my neighbor? This is a hard to figure out. And again, justifying himself for not doing something. <laughs> right, he right. knows he's not doing it. And the reason he has to give is because I can't figure out who my neighbor is. It's just too deep. <laughs> and, and she goes on to say, thus he hoped both to parry conviction and to vindicate himself in the, uh, himself in the eyes of the people. Mm. So I want to get rid of the conviction, but I want people to think I'm a really good guy. Right. So I'm trying. I just can't figure it out. <laughs> so it's actually, what's interesting is it's actually him going, trying to get out of obedience that was the legalism. 
Had he just Ooh. obeyed, it would have been. He's trying to he's trying to vindicate himself in the eyes of people. He's trying to look a certain way. He's playing this game. Mm-hmm. Instead of if he had just mm. sought to do the will of God from the heart, that would have been true faith. But mm. he had, anyway, there's... Mercy. We could go into that. So that leads us into number three. Uh, talking point number three, love fulfills the law. The lesson takes us into the, finally takes us into the... Uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many things that you could draw out, but it's overarching, you know, lesson is, this is how Jesus explained who my neighbor is. Yep. He told the parable, here's a man uh, who was in need, and only one person ministered to him. It was the Samaritan. And mm-hmm. Jesus said, who was neighbor to the man who was beaten? He said, it's the one who... And obviously, there's a whole lot that could be done inside the parable itself. But if you notice that in this whole lesson study, we haven't actually gotten into the content of the parable. It's the context right, of the parable. Right. Like, why was he saying it? How did Jesus answer him? Did he point him to scripture? What was the expectation? And so I think in Sabbath school classes, it might be a temptation to really ring out this parable. Yeah. But really the wherever. important part is how did Jesus address this I'd man? I'd love to ring out the parable, yeah, but, but that's this... not the context of the lesson. Right. So uh, what is, is that, that Jesus used this and at the end, the question, this is where it really comes together. In verse 37, he said, who, uh, or rather verse 36, Jesus asked, who of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he, the lawyer, answered, he who showed mercy on him. And mm-hmm. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Again, again, do it. Right. You see it. This is what you need to and do. And I love Jesus. Knowing that the guy was wanting to justify himself, he still gave the parable. And then he says, okay, now do you understand? Good. Now do it. I'm going to keep right. coming back to do it. <laughs> now the lesson takes us to Galatians chapter 5, and I believe it's verse 14, where it says love fulfills the law. But I like mm-hmm. Romans because Romans Romans 13 is like right to the point in the context of this lesson where Paul says in Romans 13 verse 10, um, love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think this is important is some people will read this, and we have some Christian, our Christian friends will say, love fulfills the law as long as you love. You don't have to worry about keeping the law. You guys worry about the commandments and the Sabbath and all this. Notice what Paul's saying. He doesn't say it, it negates the law. He's saying basically the law, those two mm-hmm. great principles that were cited, they don't do any harm to a neighbor. Mm-hmm. And because love does no harm to a neighbor, then love fulfills, fills yes. up the law. Yeah. Yeah, it's, sometimes you hear that, and it sounds really, you know, especially when you cite scripture, love fulfills the law. Right. You could then extrapolate and say, therefore, we're done with the law. Now we're into love, as though love replaces right. the law. But he doesn't say that. It says love no. fulfills the law, not love replaces. Because or it's the in law. harmony. Right. Well, and if, if you think about what the law is for a minute, if the law truly is a transcript of the character of God, and God mm-hmm. is love, how could you then say, Oh, good. Now we can love, but not keep the law. Right. When the law is the definition of love. Absolutely. So, so, um, so what I would have to ask those people is like, I, we don't do the law anymore. I just love. It's like, what does that look like in real life? Are yeah. you going to steal from them? You're going to kill from them? Right. You're going to cheat on them? Like, you've reinvented the law because they are synonymous. That's right. Anyway. So, uh, Desire of Ages, page 503, also quoted on Thursday's lesson, paragraph 5. Ellen White commenting on this parable of Christ or the the story of the Good Samaritan says, Thus the question, who is my neighbor, is forever answered. Christ has shown that our neighbor does not not mean merely one of the church or faith to which we belong. It has no reference to race, color, or class distinction. Our neighbor is every person who needs our help. 
Our neighbor is every soul who is wounded and bruised by the adversary. Our neighbor is everyone who is the property of God. Mm. So you could just want one more sentence. Our neighbor is everyone. Mm. Well, you've brought up before in our other conversations how the the uh, etymology of the word neighbor actually comes from nigh, the what right. person who's, the, you know. Nyber, yeah, the one who's nigh to you or near yeah. to you. So basically anyone around that you have access to. You At any time, yeah, right? And so that is your neighbor. And so we're, there's no shortage of neighbors <laughs> to minister to. Uh, in conclusion, um, the lesson on Friday quotes from uh, Testimonies, Volume 2, page 25. Maybe you could read that. It says, Every act of justice, mercy, and benevolence makes melody in heaven. The Father from his throne beholds those who do these acts of mercy and numbers them with his most precious treasures. Quote, and they shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels. Every merciful act to the needy, the suffering, is regarded as done through, as though done to Jesus. When you succor the poor, sympathize with the afflicted and oppressed, and befriend the orphan, you bring yourselves into a closer relationship to Jesus. Amen. So I'm looking at our challenge and our challenge up. So basically our challenge this week is begin praying daily for someone who is different from you, uh, or even for someone you don't personally like. So you're just going to start praying for somebody. Fine. And then the challenge up says list at least three names of your acquaintances, and then in parentheses, non-Avenous. If you don't have non-Avenous acquaintances, first, go make some. You know. So I think we've had that in previous challenges, though. List the names of these acquaintances, identify their needs, emotional, physical, social, and consider how you can minister personally to their needs. What can you do practically for them in the coming week? And so I guess it's, it's alluded to there, but I want to do the challenge up, up, mm. you know, which is, is consider. And what can you do? And then do this and you will live, right? <laughs> like at the end, do it. So as you're considering it, do something this week for somebody that you processed here. That's our challenge, 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 up. challenge, challenge up. up. We always take it to the next level here. But praise the Lord, it's Christ level. We know he teaches us, he says yes. do it. So that's what we want to do this week. So let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to know you and through you to minister to others so that they might know you. Lord, help us to never have that self-justifying uh, approach that the, uh, the uh, lawyer did with Jesus, wanting to justify ourselves. But instead, Lord, help us to see your word and do what you ask so that we can show you to other people and by your grace, add to your kingdom. So bless us to that end. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.